Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Mets fans, this is about you. The panic has started to set in already. Three games in a row you've lost. And the panic has started. There's a pit in your stomach, and it reminds you of a, I'm going to say a dirty word here right now, a Wilpon-esque led New York Met team. It feels like the legs have been kicked out of you. It feels like the beginning of the end to this New York Met beautiful season. DeGrom, there's really no amazing news. Scherzer, he had a a start in the minors yesterday. Good, but when is he going to be back? Carlos Carrasco gets rocked the other day, and then Jason freaking Castro hits a two-run bomb off of Drew Smith. And again, four games against the Astros, you can't win one of them. And the team looks kind of lifeless at the moment. And the panic is starting to brew. There's a guy by the name of Francisco Alvarez sitting in the minors, crushing home run after home run after home run, who caught Max Scherzer yesterday. And he did fine for him. And they they did well together. And there is no reason to not have him up tomorrow. He should have been here yesterday. Because when you have... 
Dom Smith, when you have J.D. Davis, who are giving you nothing, Eduardo Escobar, nothing, and Ciarte you call up. Yeah, he got a nice bunt single. Barely got on base. We got lucky on that. Two hit by the Astros yesterday. You need a little life. Said that the bat now potentially, but when do they think about moving him up to even Triple A? I think once you start getting right by the All Star game, you're going to see him going to Triple A by the All Star game. More important than anything with him, what I like, what I'm seeing is that if you watch his like how his weight where it was a month ago to where it is today, he's much better. And to me, that's been always a concern. His but he's looking fitter, and that's going to be important for him. He's going to hit, but he's going to need to have a lot of flexibility, you know, to be able to go left and right with that glove so I like where he's where his body is going and to me you're going to probably see him once you get to the all-star game you see him in triple-a and he's the kind of bat don't be surprised the kind of bat that you may hear here have him here laid and who knows in, in a playoff situation because when he when he makes contact he impacts the ball and he's going to always impact the ball yeah I agree with Omar talking to Mets people he's definitely going to be in triple-a before long, they're not thinking about bringing him up to the big leagues at this point uh, because Epler, all the way going back to working for Brian Cashman, hasn't believed in promoting guys from double A. But if the bat gets to triple A and continues to force the conversation, then like Omar said, anything can happen. I think the Mets will be looking for a DH type, a little upgrade there at the trade deadline. So we'll see what they get. If they get a DH, a veteran guy, then they don't have to talk about Alvarez or think about him until next year, which is their preference. But it's not something you can totally rule out at this point, uh, promoting him to the big leagues this year. Uh, just not something that they're currently considering, I guess is what you would say. Yeah, we've all, I think we all agree the one element they need is a little more of his power, and he could provide that. So if he gets into triple A and he's hitting, I could see him coming up at some point and just being there. I don't think he would catch, but I could see him being that bat off the bench. Shaky. Well, that would be the reason that we talk about potentially Alvarez coming up because they need a DH. Robinson Cano was a failure, didn't work for Dom Smith, it's not working for J.D. Davis. So to Andy's point, unless they go out there and acquire a legitimate DH, Met fans are going to be clamoring for Alvarez and that power. He doesn't need to catch, he needs to hit, and he looks like he can do that. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on the 4th of July, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Happy 4th of July, everybody. I come to you early 4th of July here. Didn't come to you last night. It was like a, a, you know, a fireworks show outside this humble little studio, and I, uh, I said, you know, the last thing you guys want to hear as I'm trying to come to you with Mets baseball is boom, boom, boom. All the way in the background, so I thought between that, between I wanted to get a feel of Jacob DeGrom's rehab start, which started a little bit late last night, and the, f- 
the whole holiday situation. I'm like, do these guys don't want to wake up early on 4th of July to listen to me? They want to get ready for their burgers, their hot dogs, their barbecues, enjoying whatever you enjoy, whether you go to the beach or whatever. So wherever you are today, maybe watch a ball game later. Enjoy your 4th of July. It's almost like, you know, Memorial Day is that first official day of summer. The 4th of July, like, summer gets real. I mean, now if you're in school, you're really out of school. I know they get out earlier than maybe back in the day. And, uh, you you know, summer is in full force. And this is the drive towards the All-Star break. We're a couple of weeks towards the All-Star break. And we are fully in what do the Mets need phase you know, we always talk about it. You get to know the club the first couple of months. You get to figure out what they need the last couple of months, and then you go get it done the third phase, and we're full in that phase, and we got a lot to talk about when it comes to that. So uh, I introed you here, and, uh, you know, it'll give you kind of a hint of what we're going to talk about. Why have the Mets cooled down? Oh, the narratives, I told you a week ago, the narratives were going to start. The fear-mongering is going to start. It started, you heard that clip. Is that not... I don't even know who that guy is on WFAN. Is that not typical WFAN when it comes down to it? You're starting to hear, I'll also get into this, you're starting to hear a little bit about the Mets will do when it comes to a deal. And I think that's important. All the speculation, all the ideas of how we play GM. Billy Epler quietly talked to the media a day ago. Laura Albanese had put it out on Twitter and I got a feel of what they're going to do. Andy Martino's been doing some good reporting about what the Mets will and won't do when it comes to prospects. You heard about prospects and the Mets' ability to use their financial might. What can the Mets do internally? Do they need a spark? History says sparks can work. Even Buck Showalter, who was with the very good Baltimore team, got a spark midseason. Is Francisco Alvarez that spark? And is there a member of the current Mets rotation that's undervalued and either can be an answer or may be the key to getting a bigger and better rotation piece now in the future. And Buck Showalter now has 1,600 wins. We'll get into that. I think Dom Smith gave a quote in Houston a couple of weeks ago. It was a little over a week ago, which tells you why Buck is such a great manager. But we'll start here. Why have the Mets cooled down? What were they, a game over 500 in June, bad run differential uh, in June? Well, they had a tough schedule. I mean, they had a brutal 10-game West Coast trip. And let's remember, lost to Grom, no Scherzer. The starting pitching injuries caught up to them. Let's face it. When you're starting guys like Zapucky and Trevor Williams, and you're kind of trying to, you know, you're relying on your three, four, five guys. You know, Peterson was in there for a bit. McGill was out and wasn't himself, uh, to be quite honest, when he came back. Regression to the mean is what all teams do. They weren't going to win 115 games. Let's go back the dream season of the 2016 Cubs. You guys might remember, right around this time, they came into City Field and got swept four games by the Mets. They actually had a losing record in July. Go to every team that wins a championship. I bet you if I go to any of them, and I just throw a dart up against the board now, and I go to any team that had, you know, quote-unquote, a uh, a dream season, let's say, uh, they probably had a losing month. I mean, let's face it. They probably had a losing month. Everybody goes through slumps. That's why it's called regression to the mean. The Mets weren't going to play 700 or close to 700 baseball. I know the Yankees are. They're not going to play it either. Yeah, I know they did in 98. It's very rare when you do that, unless the competition is much worse than we think. Most importantly... And 
you know, I think a couple of those blowout losses were obviously the starting pitching. Bassett not pitching himself. That, that was probably the biggest disappointment. Bassett didn't elevate himself to temporarily take the mantle of ace. It seems like he's figured it out, but he didn't elevate himself. Uh, but the bullpen was exposed a bit. They miss another high-leverage reliever. You thought you were going to get that with Trevor May. Shreve, Joleli Rodriguez, although he pitched well yesterday, have been disappointments. I think Rodriguez is a guy that you want to go out and get against a tough lefty, but you can't do that. You have the three-battle rule, and if he walks that lefty, uh, he's basically worthless. None of the younger guys, maybe Holderman. I know some people like Nagosik, but even Medina, guys like that, I'm not sure they're going to be the high-leverage guys yet. So the bullpen came down to earth. Lugo was, you know, mediocre. I mean, if it wasn't for Edwin Diaz, I mean, think about it. The bullpen would have been a huge problem if not for Edwin Diaz. But most importantly, they really need another bat. Yeah, the scoring is still up there. Uh, I think there might be a tad under five runs per game. I'll have to look that up. You know, I should have looked that up before it all started, um, you know, here. But... You can see over the last couple of weeks, they're floating more into the four, four and a half. Look, I think this team is currently constituted. They're not hitting a ton of home runs. I know everyone's questioning whether it's sustainable. I don't know if they're the 5.2, 5.3 runs per game average that our little calculator, the baseball musings calculator, said they were going to be when it was all said and done. They're actually 4.77 right now. They're slightly below. The Phillies are actually... Phillies and Dodgers in the National League are higher than them when it comes to, uh, you know, scoring runs. So uh, you put that all together, you have some regression to the mean, but you have a very clear you have a very clear picture about what this team needs. They need a DH. I think they need you know Billy Epler, and I'll go back to what he said on Saturday. They're looking at both, and this is how he sounds a lot like Cashman. They're looking at additions in both run prevention and creation. I mean, that's basically saying I'm looking for. Guys who pitch well, play defense, and guys who uh, hit the ball well. That's pretty much baseball. Um, he implied they have plenty of financial flexibility. And there are some prospects that are as close to off limits as possible. So we know they need a DH. We know they need a reliever. And then there's going to be debate whether or not they're going to add to the rotation. That's the key. Here's the problem. Money at this point of the year is valuable, but that whole advantage that has been pretty much the whole earmark of what Steve Cohen's all about since he took over, that plays itself out in the back end with investment in scouting and how they'll invest in the draft in a couple of weeks. And they have this cool new tool that nobody else has, which mimics the the picture, like on a video. I mean, they have all these toys they could get. And in the offseason, they could outspend anybody on free agency. And I understand, and I think this is where maybe Billy is going. And you could use the Eric Hosmer deal that didn't happen in the spring as maybe the barometer of what this team is thinking of doing as they build up their farm system. And even they have said how important this draft is coming up in a couple of weeks. This is like a critical draft. That's going to potentially allow them to have maybe some prospect capital that they feel comfortable giving up. What they're going to try to do is go out, look at teams that have bad contracts, have players they want, and say, look, we'll take on that contract. But we're not going to give you any of these top prospects. And then a guy like maybe a Dom Smith or a J.D. Davis 
could be part of or headline that deal, like Dom Smith was in that deal. And who knows, maybe they could give up a lower level, maybe a prospect in the 15 to 20 range, you know, 20, 25 range of their top 30. When you start to go out there, that really kind of throws Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas out of there, maybe even Tyler Molle out of there. Now, maybe not Molle, but, you know, the Reds have Moustakas, who's owed $18 million next year. Do they want that? One of the things everyone's talked about is if you get want to get Josh Bell or Nelson Cruz, why don't you take Patrick Corbin's $60 million bucks off their hand? I mean, Patrick Corbin's a, a guy that uh, a few years back when he was a free agent, I thought the Mets should go after, uh, was nasty slider, big part of the 2019 team that won the championship in Washington. He's fallen off a cliff since the pandemic season. I don't know what's wrong with him. I haven't done a lot of research into it. All I know is a guy with a 6 CRA is pitched okay against the Mets. I mean, but he's lefty. Can he be rehabilitated under Jeremy Hefner? I mean, let's face it. Everybody who's come in here, uh, even guys who've gone on and not done so well elsewhere, they seem to do pretty well under this Hefner pitching coach regime. I don't know if it's it's too early to tell. It's a small uh, sample size. But they seem to do well. So who knows? Do I really think the Mets need to take on $60 million of Patrick Corbin to get Bell or Cruz? It might be. Look, at this point, I keep going back. Nobody is here to help the Mets get to where they want to get. Nobody want, wants to see Steve Cohen win. Nobody's here to see the Mets get better. Everybody loves the narrative. You heard it coming in. Oh, the Wilpon curse is right around the corner. You're not out of the woods yet, guys. That's the yoke around their neck. That's the yoke around their neck. That's what we've talked about over and over and over again. So upgrading, as we've talked about this roster, is going to be tough. They should be able to get a bullpen arm. They should be, and they need to. And they probably need to get a couple. I think at this point, both Joely Rodriguez, and I know Buck likes him a lot, and Chase and Shreve are guys that, other than, you know, in Shreve's case, other than giving length and in innings when a starter gets uh, blown out, not really that helpful. That's really Trevor Williams could do that. And uh, Joely Rodriguez, I think, uh, you know, he's he was good yesterday. But uh, I'm not quite sure that, you know, an Andrew Chafin or somebody of that ilk, uh, why would you pass them up to keep Joely Rodriguez? So that's kind of where we're at. Maybe they come, you know, they dump him in the, in the deal with the salary and whatnot. We'll see, what have you. So it's not going to be easy for the Mets to make a deal, even with the fact that they're willing to take on money because – Where's their money be taken on? Oakland has what? Uh, Steven Piscotti they has, doesn't have a lot. They don't have a lot of payroll. They're not about to just give away Montas to get him off the books. That's not what it is. And what was he hurt yesterday? I don't know if there was an update on him anyway. So that brings us to where you heard the second part of the intro as we come in: the debate about Francisco Alvarez. And here's a kid that I mean, we've had a lot of prospect hype around here. You know. Let's go back. Uh, I mean, Noah Syndergaard, Stephen Matz, to a certain degree, Matt Harvey, Ahmed Rosario. But, you know, we haven't seen this kind of prospect hype from a player, Alvarez, maybe since the Wright and Reyes days. Think about it. We haven't seen this kind of hype. And rightfully so. I mean, you look up and, you know, here's a kid that's got a 922 OPS. He's hit 18 home runs, driven in 47 runs uh, in Binghamton, you know, the old Eastern League, which not an easy league to hit in. And I haven't been uh, to any games there in a long time. I used to go to Trenton. I've told you all the time. Not a hitter's ballpark. 
uh, even Binghamton, not a hitter's ballpark, and you're playing up north for the most part, cold weather. If it's cold down here, believe me, it's cold up there. And if you've seen any clips of Alvarez, there are some games where he looks like he's, uh, you know, in the Arctic. He's so bundled up. So now he gets called up to AAA. And I know what everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking this is the answer. And you know what? Uh, and you heard Omar Manaya talk about it. You're at that point where you have to start thinking about it. Now, the Mets have brought up players after they've dominated double and triple A before. David Wright came up in August of 2004. Now, the team was already out of it. And I don't know if they uh, – it was actually July of 2004. team was kind of in it, not really in it. But that was the whole Casimir, Scott Casimir trade. But they brought him up and they threw him into it. But that was a kind of a, a lower leverage situation. Buck Showalter himself talked about Manny Machado being brought up in 2012. He was he didn't hit like a firecracker when he came up, but he was brought up in the middle of a 90-win-plus Orioles team that made the playoffs. Mets fans remember Greg Jeffries. Greg Jeffries was brought up in the middle of a pennant race. Now, the Mets were probably... I mean, many think the Mets wouldn't have won the division without Jeffries. And I don't know. I mean, there's always debate. I think he sparked them. He wound up sparking them positively for eight weeks negatively for the next three or four years. And we could go on to, you know, lesser known prospects, the Pirates with Tim Wakefield, the Cardinals with Vince Coleman, even the Yankees of 98 brought up Shane Spencer. What do you like 10 home runs in a month? Most recently you had the Cubs. Yeah. Chris Bryant was a prospect. They just held down, but Kyle Schwarber was brought up in 2015 mid season, had a great impact there for a couple of months, you know, played out of position. So it could happen, and it does have an impact. And you start to sit back and wonder, is Alvarez at the DH spot? We know right now we're at a point where J.D. Davis and Dom Smith have given you no indication, nor am I expecting them to be anywhere near acceptable at that spot. Anything that you thought an average year of Robinson Cano that you were going to get out of that spot, what we factored in to our calculator back in March, it ain't happening. And I don't think it's going to happen. JD's not catching up to any fastballs. Dom Smith needs to play elsewhere every day because I just think it's just not happening here. It's just not happening. He's been a good sport. He's been a good soldier. He hasn't complained. He's been honest about, you know, what he wants. It's just not going to happen here. He hasn't hit a home run in a year. And he's showing no power. So you definitely need that power DH uh, type. Now, the the thing about Alvarez, which gets tricky, is, well, let's see him hit a triple-A for a couple of weeks. The timing is perfect. They bring him up to triple-A. Here it is, the 4th of July. He ain't coming up anytime the next. There's no reason for him to come up. I mean, the only way he comes up is if there's some kind of panic, some kind of crazy losing streak, or they've completely gone lights out on offense. I don't see them going lights out on offense. I don't see that. Get a couple of weeks of AAA, and now you get yourself into the All-Star break. Now you got two weeks of a sample size where scouts could go down to or up to. So you see, down to AAA, which is true, but it's really up because you're going up to Syracuse. You go down, you take a look, you see what he's got. You got two weeks before the deadline, and then you can start to assess. Also, you have to start to look at what the cost is in the marketplace. When I look at the three names that have come out, so the Mets are talking about not wanting to give up a lot of prospect capital. So the first thing is you got to get somebody who's a free agent who has lesser value to the team. You know, we don't we don't know what the situation is with, with draft pick compensation and all that other nonsense. Um, so we, we you know we we 
we're still, I mean, the whole, the laws that we put together, the rules we put together that normally allowed us to assess being GM, they're not quite the same. You know, Trey Mancini, not a bad bat to have. But again, I mean, who, the Orioles don't have anybody of, you, you, you're going to have to either say they want to give him away for nothing because he wants to be in a race or, you know, you take on salary. There's no salary to take on there. So you're going to have to give up something. Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, those kind of guys. Would Washington want to help the Mets? We talked about Patrick Corbett. Out of the three, and I know the Mets need help against lefties, which isn't exactly Bell's thing. Bell makes the most sense because Josh Bell is still relatively young. And God forbid, uh, you know, he's 30, 29 years old. Mancini is a little older. And, um, you know, Nelson Cruz is over 40. Bell makes the most sense because if, God forbid, what happened to Bryce Harper, which nearly happened to Pete Alonso a couple of weeks ago in San Diego, happens, and he's out for six, seven, eight weeks, the Mets are in serious trouble. They don't have any – I mean, Tom Smith is not going to be an acceptable backup. Their power is completely gone. It's not like they're a power-hitting team right now, although with Escobar starting to heat up a little bit, that was one of the power bats you were waiting for. So Bell makes the most sense because he can play first base. I'm assuming Dom's going to have to go over in a trade. He's had a history where, you know, it's not the first time he's had a a good power run production year. He walks a lot. He's got good on-base percentage. Uh, And he's a guy that maybe you could keep around. He's a switch hitter. You could keep him around a little bit if you want to sign him to a deal. Um, You know, he was a guy that was a, a bit of a touted prospect here coming out of the Pirates system. And so far, if their ex-pirates go somewhere else, they do pretty well. They just don't do well at Pittsburgh. Um, So to me, that's the guy that you want to go after. If you bring Alvarez up, you're committing to Alvarez. You're not going out and getting Josh Bell. Because Alvarez is not coming up to sit on the bench. And he is not, in my opinion, coming up to catch. So that's where the real decision comes to play. And you better start looking at it. If Alvarez, I repeat to all of you, if Alvarez comes up, he is not a catcher. I don't care what Max Scherzer says. Uh, you know, I don't care what you could get anybody's opinion. You are not putting Alvarez into this lineup to catch and hit in a pennant race. James McCann and Thomas Nito are not there for their offense. They're there for their ability to play defense, specifically McCann. And I told you, that Hammond injury, that broken uh, uh, wrist, he's done. He ain't going to hit all year. That's going to take him a while to come back from. And I think we've seen that McCann was a little bit, not a little bit, was an anomaly before he signed the contract. Maybe it was a little bit of the, you know, juiced ball. Maybe it was a little bit of, of luck there in Chicago. Obviously living up to a contract. He is a catch-and-throw guy. He's a guy that's there for the pitching staff. And that's absolutely fine because look at Houston, a great team. They don't care what Martin Maldonado does behind the plate. They just want him there for his defense. So the real decision about Alvarez is multifaceted, and it's actually a very critical decision when it comes to rebuilding this offense. You could go out. Look, they're going to go out, and they're going to get um, a reliever. I don't think they could get a high-leverage starter, but if they want to get somebody that's a five, I think you could find somebody like that. Although you may have a guy on your staff. That I'll talk about after the break because that's another whole dynamic. And the real thing about the bat 
is now you've creeped Alvarez into the conversation. But I know what people are thinking. Well, let's go out Josh Bell. Then we can put Alvarez by the plate. We have this great lineup. No, no. I don't care he, he caught Scherzer and Scherzer said nice things. What do you think Scherzer is going to say about the Mets' top prospect? He can't catch me? Yeah, he was good behind the plate at a June game for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies up in Hartford where I don't care what the results are. I'm just trying to get my pitches in. Is he going to be good when it's the sixth inning, bases loaded, and, oh, Kyle Schwarber's up? Or Ronald Acuna Jr.'s up? You think Chris Bassett, who's this maestro who couldn't deal with Patrick Mazika, we sat there and watched him shake off, shake off, shake off? Do you think it's going to be easy for this kid, no matter how confident he is? I don't know his makeup. How confident he is to come in, hit at an elite level, which everybody's going to expect, and manage the catching. And manage all the things that go into preparing for a ball game. Is that even fair? Do you understand what you're asking of this kid? The imp- You're setting him up to fail. And guess what? Here's the real key. If you bring him up and you put too much responsibility on him. And listen to what the- Ron Darling said this on the broadcast yesterday. Buck is looking for two things out of somebody that's being brought up. One, what's his defense like? Two, what kind of teammate he is. Never said anything about offense. Because eventually, if he's a good hitter, the offense will come. If you put this kid in a position where you throw all that at him, you better be sure he's ready. As a DH, he just has to come up here and figure out how to hit and go around the league a couple of times. And you know what? Might take the league six, seven weeks to adjust, and by golly, that leads you to the playoffs. And also, let's face it, you're asking the kid for a team that's probably going to be in the playoffs in some capacity to lead a staff of elite pitchers. Hall of Fame pitchers. Are you out? You all don't get it. Do you understand how hard this is, is what you're asking, and how you're really setting them up to fail? Now, failure is not a bad thing in the big leagues. Failure could help build somebody and make them grow. But it could also kill them. We still don't know, when I say kill them, kill their career. We don't know when we're going to hear back from Jared Kelnick. There's been plenty of kids that have come up and been completely swallowed up. And their prospect um, status just, poof, disappears. You want to be careful with this. Because this has ramifications for now. It has ramifications for the future. And... If you commit to Alvarez, you're not going out and getting Josh Bell. Was he going to sit on the bench? You're going to sit Alvarez on the bench? There is no way in this world that if you commit to Alvarez that you're going to go out and get yourself a veteran bat that's going to, unless maybe Nelson Cruz is he willing to sit a little bit, not play every day? Maybe Trey Mancini, maybe, maybe those guys, maybe for a month or two might, you know, might be willing to sit and say, all right, I'll, you know, play three times a week. I don't think that, I mean, you're not going to give up a lot for that. You're not going to do that. If Alvarez is up, he's going to play every day. He's either going to DH every day, hybrid DH and catch, or catch every day. And I guess you can do that. You could hybrid him between the two positions. You don't. He's not going to play every day. He's going to get a couple of days off at least. But you're going to throw him in to the catching situation? Now, he could learn from McCann. He could learn from Nito. He's got that coffee clutch of the pitchers there that you know, seem to all have their own little, uh, you know, court they hold in the dugout. Notice with McCann back and Scherzer back, how the pitching's gotten a little bit better. 
that was a big loss, even though they're not really pitching coaches. So when you look at this, and if the, and you have to look at this how the Mets are looking at it, you got a couple of weeks to see how Alvarez mashes at AAA. You have to get this guy. I talked to you know, I saw I talked to someone I trust all the time. He saw him on TV the other day. Told me Mike guy's big league hitter ready. Wasn't so sure about the defense. Felt he was a little bit back on his feet behind the plate. Again, made a point. What you really want out of prospects is to watch them over a five. I think they have five game series now. You get them over multiple days. You, you just was watching a Scherzer star on TV because he wasn't signed to scout that that game. He was less impressed with Beatty, believe it or not. When I asked him his thoughts, less impressed with Beatty. So the debate about Francisco Alvarez isn't do you bring him up or not, like the WFN crowd is going to talk about. Oh, he should have been up yesterday. The debate is, is he ready to hit big league pitching? If he is, is he your DH? And if he's your DH, are you basically saying, I'm going to go to the well with this guy, and if I go to the well with this guy and he fails, what's your backup? Your backup is J.D. Davis probably. Or Dom Smith, depending. One of those guys is going to go for something. I can't see them. I, I don't think either one will be here post-deadline. Because I think they're going to be some capital to put out there. But I could see one. And that's your backup. Then you got to live with it. Because once August 2nd comes, it's not like the old days where you could go, well, you know, we screwed up. Golly, bagolly, gee whiz. Let me go find somebody that will go through waivers. No. It's over. It's over. Now, look, you, you see the Yankees across town. It wasn't too long ago. Gary Sanchez came up and hit a billion home runs in a month. He could get hot. But you have to be right. And this is a critically important decision. And you have to think about the kid. I don't care what his stats say. If you bring him up and put all this pressure on him, and the pressure to me is... Enough on the offensive side. You put the defensive pressure on learning how to catch and catching these catchers in a pennant race with the world champions breathing down your neck. That's all. If he could, if he could do all that and do it at a high level, then you have something special there. So you guys got to start thinking a little logically here. This is not. You can't just do the hot take. We want. You know. You 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 can't treat this like a video game because it's not. This is somebody's career. And just be and forget the numbers. And forget what Scherzer said. The Mets have people that know this kid inside and out. They also understand the situation they're in. And they have a GM that's been around the block a little bit and has seen prospects come through. I mean, look, they put Robbie Cano into the mix in 2005. I think it's going to be as much as what his role is, counting play every day. And whatever role they give him, bringing him up, will he be successful? Because committing to him means something else may not happen. Now, Mark Vientos, another kind of situation. That's a little bit different. He's coming up. He's you know he's just going to come up to to hit. You might bring up both of them. I mean, once you get once you trade Dom and or JD, if you if you bring up Alvarez to be your DH, you probably got to keep Dom around the rest of the year. You need a, D, a first baseman to back up Pete. I don't think it's Mark Canna. I don't think it's Esco. I mean, I know Lindor says he likes to play first base, but you can put him there. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Um, so I think if you're going to trade Dom, you got to get a first baseman back. And I think that's where Mancini... Man, Josh Bell and Mancini, to me, make a little bit more sense than Cruz because they provide some flexibility and versatility, and Epler likes that. So I, I could see that. 
but Bell's got to play every day. Mancini, you might be able to get away with saying, hey, you're going to sit a couple of days. You know, if Alvarez is in the mix. If, if Bell comes over, Alvarez is not going to be in the mix because I don't see a scenario where Alvarez becomes the everyday catcher. And he's not going to play. He's just not going to play once in a while behind the plate. I don't see a scenario that I'll put that down. I actually, I guarantee it. I would be shocked. And I admit I'd wrong on this show if I'm if I am. I'd be shocked if that was the case. So, you know, that's where I'm at. Vientos, you know, good numbers. Like I keep bringing up the question. I keep bringing up is why is he not up already? I think he's more of a trade chip. I don't think they want to see him get exposed at the big league level. Look, you can't just get rid of Dom or JD. Enciarte is a good uh, defensive replacement. Buck likes having that speedy Jankowski-type guy. I mean, Buck has a lot of influence. It's not just about bringing bats up. It's about the right players fitting into the roster. And as long as JD Davis is on the roster, Vientos is never going to see the light of day. Maybe they trade him and that's their plug-in. But again, you have no idea what the kid's going to do. This is a team built to win this year. If they were in a different spot, these kids might, you know, Vientos probably would be up already. You have to be right. And if they're not 100% sure, they're not going to bring them up. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When I return, there is a player on the Mets roster right now that is starting to impress me and open my eyes. A guy that I didn't think would. Not only could he be the solution where you don't need to go get a Tyler Male or you don't need to get a Frankie Montas, but he also could be the centerpiece of a package. But there is risk with everything. Are you selling a little bit too? Are you selling a little too soon? If you don't sell him, are you doing what you did with Dom Smith and not selling high? I'll tell you who that is and more right after this. The Mets at jerseys this evening calling on David Peterson to take the start in place of Chris Bassett. Simeon chases. The chase up like he does right there. The one-two to Cole Calhoun. 2-2 two, two, and Ace here. It's an out. 2-2 two, two, and he takes a big chase. Another strikeout for David Peterson. Swing and a miss. Six strikeouts for David Peterson. Payoff pitch and the appeal. He went. Big strikeout here. 0-2. Oh, swing and a miss. 2-2. Two, two, he does. Peterson continues to roll his 10th strikeout. He has done this twice in his career. All right, we're back. So you have a pretty good idea what this segment's going to be about. But what was the best news we got all weekend here on the Talking Mets podcast? What's the best news? It's not the 4th of July holiday, the extra day off. It's not the fact that you have some I – mean, maybe it's the fact you have some clarity. Maybe you're happy that the Mets are basically saying, I'm not trading any of our prospects. We'll use our money. We're all in, but we're not trading prospects. I'm not totally happy about that, but maybe that makes you happy. You know, maybe it was the fact that Edwin Diaz, without his best stuff, got a save, and the Mets were able to, after a, a rough I mean, rough two series against the Astros, a rough – series against uh, the Astros, a disappointing series, especially that Thursday game with Castro in the home run. Maybe the fact they took two out of three against the Rangers is the best news. But no, that's not what I think it is. I think it started at 6-10 yesterday down in sleepy Port St. Lucie, probably a humid day. It's all because of this. 
Second pitch, fastball. Now he slept. One, two, slider, swung on and miss. Two, one, fastball. Right. Payoff pitch from DeGrom. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss, strike two. He swings and misses at the slot. Pitch a little low, a check swing. He went around. How's your shoulder feel right it now? It feels 100%. So, um, you know, just make sure moving forward that it feels good and, you know, continue from there. Jacob DeGrom is healthy. Now, I read that. Some of the Mets officials like, why is he throwing 100? But you knew. See, DeGrom's not stupid. You knew. You knew that if he didn't throw 100 and he was just going half-mast, that that would be the story today. Oh, I don't know. DeGrom doesn't look too good. I get a kick out of what is it? Athletes logo puts like this like scary like movie poster out there coming, and it's like Scherzer and DeGrom. And I tweeted it over to our friend Justin Toscano, who's now the beat writer, our good friend Justin Toscano, who came on this show many, many times when he was the beat writer for the Mets for the record. But he's over at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and he's now the, the beat writer for the Braves. So maybe we'll get him on. we got a Braves series. We'll see if Justin will be kind enough. I know he's got his own podcast over there to bring him on. All right, so that's the best news. DeGrom is back. Uh, and by the way, the narrative is starting when I tell you, man, this show is, oh, I hate to be like that because I'm really not, I'm I'm very humble about my position in this whole ether of media. I'm a, I'm a, I'm not, what is the old Francesa thing? I'm not a, oh, was it Chris Russo? I'm not a pimple on a blank's fanny. Am I even a pimple on a donkey's fanny in this? Because I'm not. I, I know I'm basically that little dot, but I think I, I, I have a good program. I have a good product. And I know I do because I see the numbers and I see you guys continuing to come back. But um, did I not tell you they were going to start trolling you about Jacob DeGrom? And Buster, they already said he's going to go to the Braves. He's going to go to the Braves. Another conversation for another day. More importantly, so you heard the clips. You watched the Apple TV broadcast. I will, by the way, I actually listened to the broadcast, not on mute this time. I listened to the whole broadcast. So on the way out, Maybe I'll give you a couple comments on that because I have some good, some bad. But anyway, so David Peterson, a guy that I've been mixed on, a guy that I told you during the pandemic season when they had that all their pitching industry in, uh, injuries, you know, Syndergaard goes down and um, Stroman opts out. It was a mess. You know, it was a total mess. The 2020 pandemic shortened season with the staff. Peterson, who wasn't supposed to step in, stepped in. Pitched okay, showed a little moxie, navigated a lot of base runners. And then last year, as part of a rotation that really needed him, he had, what is it, the uh, the foot injury, didn't pitch well. And ultimately, what I didn't like is I saw a guy that fell behind a lot of guys. I saw a guy that, you know, just wasn't evolving. He was a first, I know he's a first-round pick, and he's always been someone described to me as a guy that... um. Um, you know, is is a back in the rotation guy, you know, potentially a guy that uh, you know, won't be an impact, you know, number three or anything like that. And and and, and I can I can understand that, but I'm starting to see a guy that if you're not gonna go out and get one of those three names you talked about, and you're talking about going out and get it a middle now, veterans have a purpose. And I think Peterson actually may have a purpose as the rotation fills up, as DeGrom and Scherzer comes back, may have a purpose bigger than just uh, a rotation spot. You know, if you're going to go out and get a middle-of-the-road veteran, league average guy that is there to fill innings, 
uh, first of all, unless you think, and, and I know injuries always happen, and they could happen at the worst possible time, which is like August. You're, a veteran's not going to come here, sit in the bullpen, and go down to the minor leagues and wait for Walker, Carrasco, DeGrom, Bassett, Scherzer to get hurt. And there is some injury risk. Like you, Once August 2nd comes, you kind of have to say, all right, you know, we've made our decisions here. If something drastic happens, we just have to live with it. If DeGrom's down for the count, we got to live with it. If Carrasco turns into a pumpkin, we got to live with it. Do so. That's really that's another interesting decision. You know, would they go with a six man rotation? Because I don't think Scherzer is going to want that. Because if you bring in another veteran, that's what you're really looking to do. You may not have to do that because David Peterson, to me, is evolving a little bit. And I wanted to go and look at the data to see what was going on. Now we all saw the numbers. He's got like a, a 50% whiff rate on his slider, which is nasty. You saw a lot of that on Friday night against Texas, which is truly comes across as a three outcome team. Walk, strike, and home run. I mean, woof, talk about a team that that falls into that 2022 baseball narrative. But he's changed, and this is where you have to. And I said earlier, you know, it's interesting that between the analytics department and Jeremy Hefner, and really the openness of these guys to develop and improve, you're starting to see a guy evolve with his repertoire. So last year, he was basically four-seam fastball sinker pitcher, majority of what he threw, and then it was his slider right after. He's thrown um, more sliders now this year than he ever did, even against lefties. I mean, significantly more against lefties than he ever did. He's working from his four-seam fastball. He's setting guys up to get ahead. And then he's using his slider as a little bit of an out pitch, it looks like. If you watch those clips, you go on MLB.com and watch those clips. And when you look at his slider, I mean, uh, they're hitting a buck 60 off the slider. The changeup, too. I mean, they get at his fastball, and his sinker is a pitch that is very hittable. That's the pitch that gets him into trouble. But here's the thing about Peterson. And it's, 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 it's really simple. When he gets ahead... Uh, that slider becomes uh, deadly. Becomes deadly. And they, and they really can't lay off of it. And that's really what it comes... It's so simple. We could have all this analytics. We could have all this discussion about, you know, spin rate and mechanics and look at his horizontal movement. and his, I don't get into all that. It's about... Throwing strikes. Ray Miller, the old Pirates pitching coach under Jimmy Leland. Work fast, change speeds, throw strikes. That's it. Look at what Edwin Diaz is doing. He's working faster. He's changing speeds and he's throwing strikes. Well, his slider's pretty nasty. Now, with, with Peterson, I think it's about location, getting ahead, and using his slider as the real weapon in, the, in his repertoire. Let's 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 play a little game here. So uh, let's assume the Mets aren't really look. They've said they don't want to give up top prospects. You're not giving up top prospects. You're not getting any impact starting pitcher. Period. End of story. Unless the kind of the deal that we talked about a Josh Bell, Patrick Corbin, and maybe you maybe that kind of deal and that money is important because Corbin's a guy that if you don't need him. You could just throw him in the bullpen, and you'll see, see you next year in spring training. We'll figure you out. 
and he could be your mop-up guy. I mean, he's not going to be happy. He's getting paid. He's not going to be happy. But he'll do it. So maybe that's your insurance. But to me, if those five starters we mentioned, Carrasco, Walker, Bassett, Scherzer, DeGrom, are in the rotation and healthy, you've got your Trevor Williams, who is your long guy. Stupid me was ready to expose him to waivers back in uh, April to keep Robinson Cano. Imagine what a disaster that would be. And you've got David Peterson, who I don't think is going to go back down when he comes back if there's no spot on the roster. And Peterson, to me, because the third time around the lineup is when he starts to get a little off the rails. There's data that indicates that. He might be a guy. He still smells to me like a guy that could come out of the bullpen, max it out, get ahead, and be. And that slider could be deadly out of the bullpen and give you a couple of innings. And you're going to need that because, let's face it, DeGrom ain't going more than five innings for a while. I mean, I, I told you this, and you have Trevor Williams, but you can't go every day to Smith and Adovino, and you're still looking for that reliever. I know Trevor May is working his way back. Who knows what you know he's going to be all about and whether or not his year is lost. But to me, Peterson is a guy that is starting to intrigue me because he may be developing into a solid back end of the rotation starter who can give you number three performance. Think Steven Matz. He can potentially be a very lethal weapon out of the bullpen. I mean, he did a nice job in Anaheim coming in from McGill. And if you tell him, hey, I just need you for a couple innings, go all out, that could even become more deadly, that slider. That fastball ticks up a little bit, allows him to challenge hitters a little more confidence. He seems to be erudite enough to learn about his repertoire. But here's the other thing that maybe Peterson becomes, and this is where the risk is. And this is where you're relying on your analytics department, but you're also relying on great minds like Buck Showalter and Jeremy Hefter. Is this a mirage? Because we've seen him go through periods where he's pitched well, but he always seems to regress. And there are times where he looks like he doesn't even belong in the big leagues. Do you use him as a centerpiece to get yourself a really good starting pitcher? Is there a team out there? Now, he's got some service time, but still affordable. Is there a team out there that's willing to take him and Dom or JD and maybe another prospect? You know, you might have to give up a Mauricio. And would you be able to maybe get? Is that something that, uh, uh, you know, gets you into a conversation? Look, if the Dodgers are getting into this whole Luis Castillo stuff, and I'm still not sure I want Castillo or the Yankees or teams that seem to market their – who have better prospects or market their prospects better, the Mets aren't going to compete on that. Is it worth going after a Tyler Male for a Peterson? That's the interesting conversation. See, to me, I'm looking at him and I'm seeing some good things. The walk rate's going back down. If he could get that walk rate under three and more consistently because he still – is as likely to get behind 1-0 as he is to get ahead 1-0-1. I mean, throwing that first strike is really the key for him. And is and because it allow that slider, they don't need to swing at it when they're ahead. Then he's got to go into his four-seam fastball. Uh, then he's got to start throwing his uh, sinker. And it's hittable. Doesn't really throw a curveball that much. I mean, yeah, he could get his changeup in there and stuff like that, but... You know, I mean, that's the other part of his repertoire, the changeup. He's going fastball slider changeup. 
you're trying to stay away from that sinker. But when you're ahead, when you're behind the count, you know, all that makes him good gets negated. I mean, we could say that about any pitcher, particularly for Peterson. But if this is a guy who could harness his ability to throw strikes and get ahead, he's dangerous. He's lethal. He could be great out of the, obviously, the rotation. He could be great out of the bullpen. Better than Williams. And he's lefty. Really, and he could go both sides, so you don't have to worry about, you kind of eliminate. I mean, he's definitely going to give you more than Chase and Shreve. So, this might be a bit of an unsung type of guy that we're not even talking about. That's starting to emerge right before our eyes. That we've always been like, "Eh, David Peterson, whatever. I've been like that too. Maybe not. So, something interesting to think about as we head towards the trade deadline. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to wrap up. When I come back, smorgasbord of final thoughts. Bucks at 1,600 wins. Apple TV broadcast. I actually finally listened to it. Uh, looking ahead, you know, little uh, little things here and there. We'll figure something out. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. You have a good relationship with Buck. Just what was that conversation like when you were called back up again? Yeah, it was a good conversation. Um, he was obviously transparent and very honest on uh, what I'll be doing when I came back and he just wanted to make sure that you know I'll be ready for my opportunities and like I told him you know I'll be ready uh, no matter what my opportunity is and yeah it was great because he's a great uh, mentor a great leader um, he does a great job uh, just getting to know his players and really having an understanding on uh, what we go through on an everyday basis on the field off the field because life is it's pretty huge um, in the grand scheme of just baseball so um, he, he does a great job making sure that uh, we're just okay as a person first before we're okay as a baseball player. And that's why I appreciate him. And uh, I love that he's our manager and that he takes the time out to care for us like that. You have a good relationship with Buck. Just what was that? All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Here's something interesting, you know, just during the break was looking at it on Twitter. This is for, this is from, see, I don't even know who the hell this guy is. Let me look at this. 8,000 followers, official Twitter account of MLB News Network, no affiliation with Major League Baseball, says, uh, you know, that maybe the Reds would be more willing to take a lesser package for Luis Castillo in order to move Mike Moustakas in the deal. See, I, I just, if you're rebuilding, you're the Reds with one year left on that deal. I mean, I understand finances. You're going to, one of the, one of your, your best chip on the big league roster. I mean, in some cases, I think Molly, you know, when you do an advance uh, stats, um, might be as good. I mean, I'll get into that another day. I don't want to really get into it. But I, I, Molly has been an interesting uh, option that doesn't get the same buzz out there. Kind of like how Bassett was with the, with the A's in a lot of ways. But I still don't see how the Reds would do that. Now, is that where, like I just said, the Peterson, Dom, lesser prospect for Castillo deal could happen because you're taking on money? Maybe. Like I said in the open, use the Hosmer deal as the blueprint. Maybe that's the blueprint that they've put out there. They've tipped their hand a little bit. But you heard Dom Smith, so let's wrap up a little bit, really rapid fire here because I know you want to get to your barbecues and you want to get to your fireworks. Be safe out there, please. And having fun here on an, it looks to be, you know, I'm looking out the window. It's it's early here, Friday, uh, Friday, early here, 4th of July morning. But 
you just heard a clip from Dom Smith, and you're like, why are you, Mike, why are you giving me this clip from Dom Smith from, what, two weeks ago in Houston when he came back, he was called up? Because Buck Showalter just got 1,600 wins, and I, I cannot reiterate the importance of a good field manager, and I think it's been so long since we've had one here. We've been able to cover one. I, I never counted Terry Collins, who, but Terry did some of the mechanics of Buck. I think Terry had didn't have the same leadership qualities of Buck, uh, not at that level anyway. And before that, I think it's been like Bobby Valentine. You know, you're going almost two decades since we really had a manager that you really felt was competent in the dugout. And I and I believe Buck. They trust him so much that Billy Upler trusts him so much. I think his, he has a big say in the roster too. You know how they go out and they're you know bringing guys like Inciarte in and and building the roster around that. That that's you know they're not they're not just putting guys in. They're not putting a bunch of DHs in or or doing what the analytics department says or what you know the new age fan says where you don't worry about defense. They're building a team the way Buck wants to have a roster built. But listen to Dom Smith, who has every reason to be angry, has every reason to be bitter. Now give the guy credit for himself. On that, that shows you. I mean, I'll say one thing. I've been highly critical of Dom for a long time. I don't think he's all that good. I think the Mets should have sold high on him after the pandemic season. I've never seen a player that's shown me he's an everyday player in any capacity. Came up, made a lot of mistakes, weight, you know, not really, you know, obviously it was some health issues with the sleep apnea and everything like that. But so give him credit. But the fact that Buck was able to take a tough situation with a, with a former first-round pick and get him to feel not good, but accept the fact that he's playing in Syracuse again down in the minor leagues, he's coming up to the big leagues and essentially coming in for defense and subbing in one to two days a week like a veteran who's in the mid-30s would be, and he's not making a lot of uh, noise. Be- and why is that? Because the manager was honest. He brought him in his office and said, this is what I got for you, big guy. And the one thing that I've learned in talking to a lot of former players for many, many different decades is that honesty is not always at a premium in baseball. And sometimes people are afraid to have tough conversations, even big league managers. And this whole idea that all the manager has to do is listen to the you know, front office and hand out the lineup card and sit there and wait for his instructions like a stratomatic baseball manager – that is always been hogwash. You need to manage personalities. You need to build a culture. At the end, it's about, I always say, it's about that covenant. When you get into spring training, you tell all these guys, this is what we're aiming for. Are you in or you're out? There's no such thing as halfway. And if you're in, and this is the end result goal, you are going to play a part in this, selfishly play a part in this. And if you play your role selfishly, you're that role within the scope of this bigger pie, then you could be part of this. And if you don't, you don't. I don't care if you guys hang out now. Like Keith Hernandez always talks about, the teams that go to the next level are the teams that really like to be together, talk baseball, connect, because when there's tough times, especially on the field, you, you, you go back to that trust you have in your teammates. But look, no matter what kind of team you have, there's always going to be somebody that you're like, this is not my kind of guy. I don't want to hang out with him. It's not what it's about. It's about putting the work, the effort, and I say this all the time, into the role that makes you the best version of what you are to that team. And having a manager be honest with that player. 
so that they have no misconceptions about where they stand is critically important, especially somebody like Dom, who he wants to be a starter. He wants to get himself established. He wants to get paid. He's not getting any younger. It was fun back in 2019 when he was on the bench and he was kind of the rally guy and he would pinch it. And, and you know, then he had that walk-off home run the last day of the season. That was when Dom was emerging. After 2020, when he had that half a season where he even was in the talks for MVP and maybe was the Mets' best hitter that year, better than Pete Alonso, he had bigger plans. And, he, you know, it's his fault. He didn't perform. He also had some injuries. He's in a situation where he's got uh, a guy that potentially could be in the conversation for the MVP blocking him. So that, to me, shows you another example of why you have the right manager here. And I think it's important that as we move forward here, Buck is going to be a real important piece throughout his four-year deal, I think, in molding the culture here. And I hope, because I don't know if he's going to manage much past the contract, regardless of whether they win or not, I hope that there's somebody that he can mentor that can be the next guy, whether that be somebody on the coaching staff. I wonder if, you know, him and Jeremy Hefner are much closer than I've ever seen a pitching coach manager before. I wonder if Jeremy Hefner is one of those guys. Who knows? You don't know. Okay, Apple TV broadcast. You know, not, congratulations, Bucks, 1,600 wins. How to get that one less. I, I always like to make sure people understand the importance of the manager and how I am not somebody who just dismisses it uh, because, you know, the analytics can't measure managers as well. Buck is critically important. Critically important. All right, Apple TV broadcast. Actually listened to Chris Young and you know, I, I apologize. I, I you know, jeez, ah, I gotta get their names. It's this rude. Apple, let me see. Apple TV MLB broadcast team because it's rude not to know. Uh, let's see. There's Mel. Okay, Chris Young, Melanie Newman, Hannah Kaiser, and then Brooke Fletcher was the field reporter. Um, not impressed with the play by play. A lot of work needs to be done on the play by play. I think Chris Young is pretty good. Um, field reporting is field reporting. I could do without. I told you the stats on the side of the screen. I kind of ignore that. Um, I don't, you know, it's funny. I didn't really notice. I'm starting not to notice the strike zone box. Remember that used to be like such a big like thing. Now I'm not even noticing. I didn't even remember about the strike. Yeah, I know they had it, but it's funny how I'm not noticing. So even though the bugs and the graphics are all around, um, you know, I didn't notice them at all. The, the stats on the side, they put them to the side. I just think that's pandering. I, I don't know what the purpose is. Nobody knows whether it's an 8%, 10%, 12%, 15% chance of getting a hit because there's so many things that could happen. Actually, I don't want to see that because it's bumming me out. How about that? Didn't like how they started going to scores in the middle of big uh, at-bats and they were showing highlights. I, I like the mic'd up thing. It's kind of benign what they're showing. I think you could go back and look at the mic'd up stuff. I mean, it's that's kind of cool. Um, I really liked the quiet inning, not because of anything with the broadcasters, but more because I think it's cool to watch a game on TV, have the microphones down at the field, they called it field level, and be able to get the same ballpark experience. If you don't have Gary, Keith, and Ron and the banter that comes with and the conversation that comes with an elite broadcast team, just give me the the sound. Look, there there is no way a team could waltz in. Now they've had the Mets about three times though, but 
even with Diaz, like I, I saw how they were assessing Diaz later in the game. I think it was Chris Young. You could tell they really didn't understand how he's changed his repertoire. The nuances of a team, like if I start to talk about the Phillies right now, I mean, yeah, the Mets have played them 12 times. I'm not going to know every nuance. I'd have to learn it. I'd have to live it. But if I had a once-a-week broadcast, I think I would learn and live it a little bit. I'd do my research. You know, you can't just wait for those manager meetings to get these little anecdotes and things like that. you got to say, okay, why is Diaz having a great year? It's available. You can listen to the show. You can go out and do some research. There's plenty of articles about it. Um, and I understand, look, I, I, the Peacock thing I didn't, I didn't even do. I'm not going to sign up for $4.99 to get for one Peacock game. If they're going to do more Peacock games, I'll think about it. I got enough bills to pay and enough streaming services. Peacock, I mean, I love Yellowstone, but I could get Yellowstone on cable, and I've already seen the, you know, Yellowstone on the, uh, I'm, I'm caught up. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, I understand they want to have, uh, an equal opportunity broadcast booth and that's fine but i don't think the people they picked were all that good you know that's the whole thing if you're gonna go in a direction with broadcasting you got to make sure that people are good they're not i mean i i just uh, the play-by-play was amateur i hate to say it. it has nothing to do with gender or anything like that it was amateur play-by-play it's, i mean they're also pandering to a different audience they probably gotten direction from apple you know be cool you know use you know, cool terms, you know, make it exciting. You know what's exciting? You know, baseball is what it is. And it's a fun sport. And it's not for everybody. And look, I get it. With the ADD generation, I've said this a thousand times, maybe maybe it's like how boxing, maybe we're at the arc of where boxing and horse racing was back a hundred years ago. I hope not. I hope not. But... I actually, the best inning I thought was the inning when they didn't have any announcers. I thought some of the sideline stuff was okay. It was very NBA-ish. The baseball probably should do that a little bit more. I, I hate, like, when I say they should do it more, you got to do it at the right times. I think NBA, the coaches, you could tell us, like, just leave me alone. If the questions are good, um, you know, sometimes you get something out of it. I, the mic thing, I think, is the best part. And obviously you need to manage it. Because there could be, you know, things that could get you in trouble said by by accident. So, so that's my take. I actually listened for the first time. The other two times, I was totally on the iPad watching it on silent. I actually watched the entire game. So that's my take. You want to get mad at me because I wasn't crazy about the booth? It has nothing to do because she was a woman. It has nothing to do with that. Just didn't think she was that good. Play by play is hard. I couldn't do play by play. I'm a talk show guy. Very, very hard. What Gary Cohen does, what Bob Murphy did for many, many years, what Gary Thorne does, you know, on and on. I mean, the might, the, the, the ability of a Vince Scully to do up to the age he's done, what he's done, it's very hard. And I'm biased. I mean, I grew up where it's like, you know, Vince Scully's like doing the game of the week. Al Michaels. These are Hall of Fame broadcasters. As a Mets fan, you've seen Bob Murphy, Ralph Kiner, Tim McCarver. Gary Cohen, this great booth. I mean, no one's ever going to live up to that. So to me, you know, you do these national broadcasts, just give me the field mic. If I don't have Gary Keith the run, give me the field mic. The worst thing is, eventually Gary's going to retire. Keith's going to retire. They're going to want to go. Ron might want to go do national work. Who's next? This, the bar is so high. I know people say Randazzo, but we'll see. So hard job. Never would take it away from anybody. Hard, hard, hard job. 
All right, that's it. That's all I got for you guys. Enjoy your 4th of July. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I also want to thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Happy 4th of July. Enjoy your barbecues. Be safe. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Keith Hernandez, Retirement Week. I got a little fun guest for you guys. Till then, take care. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.